What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining us on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. Uh, we're here for the intro of the podcast. Jordan, Duck and Chronicles, Elliot, Freelance Duck Hunting. You're tried and true here again for another week of the podcast. Super excited, guys. Uh, we have an awesome guest uh, for the podcast. We actually just got done talking to him, Nate, from Falling Tide TV and talked to all things Louisiana, and he definitely, he schooled Elliot good on the South. Now Elliot has gone from a hater to a lover at the snap of a finger. So fanboy, howie, Southern fanboy. Yep. He was an interesting guy. Oh, yeah. So you got any, uh, you kind of got any updates? What you working on, Elliot? I am just ticking off. I could, it's ridiculous. I could not sleep last night because I was daydreaming about duck hunting. And that was on the 16th <laughs> of August. Come on, man. I've got like full two weeks to go and I'm laying in bed at night and I can't sleep because I'm daydreaming about teal hunting. It's ridiculous. I've got it, man. I've got the fever. Oh, man. Yeah. I'm excited too. I've got, I have so much, so much going on. I know you're the same way. Um, cranking through my videos for August. We're, uh, we're wrapping up. Like I have all of the videos done for this week. I have all of the videos done, not for the next week, but like the week after. So I got to finish up some for that middle week. And then I'll have all my content squared away for August, which I'm excited about. I love making those videos, but it'll be like a, a weight off my chest knowing that I made it through another, um, what I call the August push where I, uh, you know, put out five videos a week and, and hit up all my projects. You know, we're doing the sailboat builds. I got it on the water. Um, we're doing all kinds of stuff. So yeah, it's uh, and then we're swinging right into season and like literally from the first, uh, into season, like it's just going to be, it's going to be nonstop. So I'm so excited. Yeah. I, this Saturday, so I've got two weekends before my first hunt. And so both weekends, both Saturdays are real scouts. I mean, I do tons, you know, I do tons of scouting during the off season, but that, that's casual scouting. That's like just kind of getting out, looking at the vegetation. These two hunts are like, I am actually scouting for hunts. So I'm so excited about it. I'm going to be out right at sunrise um, Saturday, sitting there just glassy. And I'm going to go to my A spot in this area that I, that I probably would, wouldn't hunt for three more weeks before, maybe four weeks down the road, mid September, <laughs> but I want to see what's, what's there, how the birds are using it. And I'm going to bounce all over a bunch of places I've taken you and just scout, 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 scout. But I'm actually looking for teal. And I think, I think the tealer, I haven't heard any reports yet, but I bet you anything that there's a bunch of teals that have moved in. Now we had that cold front, um, come in, what was it? Two nights ago. Um, I mean a cold front for this time of year, we had a heavy North wind, we had storms <laughs> and I'll bet you anything those male blue wings blew in on, on that front. So I'd be real surprised if I didn't see any, then the next weekend is another, that's like weekend before go time scout. So I'm pumped up. I'm pumped. Yep. It's so close. You can almost smell it, man. Right. Oh, I was going to tell you, there's a chance if my Nebraska teal hunt doesn't go well, and I haven't talked to Ben out there uh, in Nebraska yet about what his plans are or if he's even doing anything, but if my scout doesn't go well on the 27th and I'm not sure of where to hunt, the plan is that my dad and I are going to drive three hours and go back to our dove pond that like I 
cut my teeth hunting on from the age like 13. And we started dove hunting on this pond and they come in at the night on this pond. They go to the roads and they um, eat gravel and then they come into this pond and then they go to the trees. I mean, we traditionally shot limits at this place. So, and I, we, we haven't hunted it since, oh geez, I bet you, uh, 91, 92 was the last time we had it. My uncle owns the land there. So That's I'm crazy. like, what would you think, dad? Cause my dad doesn't have that many years left about us taking a trip and going back to like kind of where it all began. You know, it's like where my hunting began. Oh, yeah. So I kind of, if the teal thing doesn't work out for Nebraska, that I would be really, really excited to do that trip. <laughs> yeah, that would be cool. I'm going to tell you though, I feel like there's about a 0% chance that you're going to see like 12 till and be like, well, we're just going to wing it on the teal. <laughs> we'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. We'll see if it happens. I don't know. And I was just telling you this before the podcast. So I've actually got some early season teal hunting plans too, which I'm excited about because I haven't early teal season hunted since I went with you in Kansas, like three seasons ago. Right. So um, we didn't do very well. I don't think. Well, I mean, we shot like, yeah, actually that's we shot true. 12 one day and 10 the next. It's not like we did poorly, but yeah. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, yeah, I think that's, uh, it was, they were fun. They were fun teal hunts. So right. that's what we'll say. They weren't mediocre. like bangers, like you limit they out every time. But fun, um, still fun. But yeah, they're meteorical right. for Kansas right. standards, but it would be good, absolutely, hunt, like yeah. most places, yeah. I yeah. think. So, um, yeah. So, uh, I have to retract that statement, though. I did go teal hunting in Michigan a couple times, and I think, like one one time, I I got skunked, and the other time I shot one. So, so did one. you get an invite? So, on this teal hunt, someone call you and say, "Come teal hunt with me," or are you just winging it, or what? Yeah, actually, I. No, I've been talking about this spot for a long time. Um, got pins on it uh, on the Mississippi River. And I think originally I talked about it on the podcast, and that's where this guy um, heard heard me talking about it and reached out to me. Exact area that I literally have pinned on the map to scout. And my plan was, because at one point I talked about coming to join you for a teal hunt. And... Um, my plan was because you guys don't open till mm-hmm. Saturday that I would be able to drive to this spot halfway, not quite halfway, a little bit closer than that, um, and stop for the night and scout it out because it just seems like a really cool waterfowl place. And I've never hunted the Mississippi River. It'd be really cool. I've said cool way too many times now. But uh, <laughs> so I'm excited about that. That was kind of my plan anyway to like drive right through there and then go to Nebraska. So, um, but. You know this. This will save like, I mean, gas money is uh, you know, gas prices. They're pretty are, low right now. No, they're, they're low here. They're way back down. Yeah, really. You can get uh, well. To you what? can get eighty-eight octane, which I don't know if you know about. Which I you can use to that in a lot of vehicles. For it was three oh nine today, and then eighty-seven gas is only like three twelve. Oh, wow. So I consider those prices yeah. fine. Anything below three twenty to me is nothing you should gripe about, as far as I'm concerned. So I'm they're way sure. back down. Sure. Yeah, I just this like uh, I mean a year two years ago they were like what two two dollars. Right, so. but a lot of my adult life um, it's been in the threes. I mean during Trump it got down since like two thousand eight. But I mean yeah. it's since two thousand eight was the first time it went up a ton, like to you know, uh four dollar mark. But yeah, around here we're still like four bucks to and for diesel it's uh like five thirty. So diesel here is like um, um four well uh, no, I didn't get diesel. What did I get? I got no ethanol 91 before um, the boat, which was low fours, which wasn't too bad, I didn't think. 
Might have been high threes. It wasn't yeah. too bad. Oh, it was definitely fours. Yeah, I'd love it if it went back to that. But, uh, you know, so anyways, going back to, so my plan is to, to go on the Mississippi River. What state is so, that? Uh, it's going to be, it's Iowa border and oh. Illinois border. Send me so. that pin. Yeah. You're, 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 I send yeah, you all my pins and I'm not getting any return pins, buddy. Yeah, you don't want to see my pins. Why not? <laughs> I don't want them all. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I got a lot of pins, so yeah, I'll send it to you, no problem. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm super excited about it. Uh, it's going to be like a third of the mileage, so a third of the third of the cost to go out there. And that guy, so that guy nice. told you teal hunting is really pretty successful in that area. Yeah, yeah, he said. I mean, I don't I don't expect it to be like you know Central Flyway uh, success, but I, I think that we'll be shooting birds every day, um, and. It'll be exciting for me just to hunt a new area. I love going to new areas. So yeah. I can't wait yeah. to watch those videos. That'll be fun. Oh yeah. Alrighty. Well let's go ahead, get a quick word from our partners, and we'll get to having Nate on and talking all about Louisiana duck hunting. So first off, I'd like to give a big thanks to Onyx. Guys, Onyx is a great product for waterfowl hunters. It is an app or it's on the web web the internet. If you ever heard of that before as well, you can go to their website, you can go to the phone, they actually talk back and forth. Um, so if you mark a pin on your computer and then you go there and you're hunting, uh, you can open it on your phone and see all that stuff that you've saved there. So it's super cool for, you know, boundaries of property, getting permission from landowners. You can click on it, gives it the tax information, you can go right there, knock on a door, hopefully you get a yes. Um, and then public land, same thing, boundaries, and showing you where you can hunt. So, I mean, honestly, I don't think I could go back to hunting without it. It's it's that essential uh, of a product for duck hunters. So check it out. I'm not sure when you guys are listening to this, but if it's before the 25th of August, you still have a chance to get entered in the Duck Gun Podcast Patreon Hunt Giveaway where we're going to pick one winner. You're going to come and hunt with Jordan and I, and, man, we're going to hang out in the duck bus. It's just I, – I, it's the – I'm looking at it as the highlight of my own season, quite honestly. It's the event that I'm the most excited about. Patreon.com slash freelance duck hunting. Sign up there. You can pick how many entries you get for this hunt giveaway. And over on Patreon, we have lots of bonus extra content. I've been putting stuff on there for the last, like, geez, seven years. There's just a scroll of videos that go way, way back. So plenty and plenty of extra content. And you can get an account to Freelance Hunt Stats, which we are changing the name to the uh, North American Waterfowl. <laughs> I haven't done it yet, but it's going to happen. And we've got really cool things going on over there. We're adding new leaderboards. How excited are you, Jordan, about the new leaderboards? Uh, yeah, that's going to be the highlight for me of, well, actually, we got we got the design right. update, too. So, uh, yeah, no, I'm super excited about about having those um, and different, you know, different things. Uh, through the season, so it's going to be awesome. We are going to unleash these new leaderboards really soon. Who shot the most mallards, most wood ducks, most teal, most geese, most pintails. And so we got lots of stuff going on. So come on over patreon.com slash freelance duck on and sign up, get entered, get hunt stats, and you can come watch this live stream um, with us that we're doing every Wednesday. We had a bunch of guys in watching tonight, so you'll have access to that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and you know, we've been actually been on here for two hours live streaming, so it hasn't all been recorded podcast stuff. But uh, you know we've been we've been hammering it away. So 
Alrighty, also like to give a big thanks to Motion Ducks. Guys, Motion Ducks is a decoy decoy jerk rig on steroids. So uh, the product there, they have the ultimate spreader and they have uh, just their regular spreader. And it's perfect for those no-win days. You throw it out in your spread and use it like a jerk rig, but it just, uh, you know, it's uh, way more advanced as far as its capabilities. It puts a lot more ripples on the water, and you don't have a lot of the pitfalls and downfalls to, um, you know, the the traditional jerk rig. So you guys need to check them out. It, it is um, Motion Ducks, and use code DuckGun2020 for 10% off over there. As if you are not protecting your hearing, take it from me. It's something you have to do. I neglected it for years. I used to say in my 20s, you know what? I don't care. I want to be able to hear when, I, when I'm on the hunt, and I'm going to sacrifice some hearing so that when I'm duck hunting, I can hear nature. I said this. I, I audibly said this to people, and I was a fool. Uh, I needed to get some hearing protection because now I'm having problems hearing. I've got hearing loss. And now, finally, I've started using the Tetra hearing products, and it is so fantastic. It's worth every dime because once you put it in, you don't even think about having having earplugs in or having any kind of hearing protection. You just hear everything after about 30 seconds. You tune out everything else, and it's just like you don't even think about having them in. Tetra hearing, you've got to protect your hearing. Do not take it casually and go out there without some type of protection. Awesome. Also like to give a big thanks to Final Approach. As Final Approach is your one-stop shop for the waterfowl hunter. They have everything there. They have they have camo. They have decoys. Uh, they have some awesome Texas rigs. <laughs> uh, you name it. They got A-frames, blinds, layouts. Um, it's just it's just got a, a great selection of everything. So um, you know, one I just did a video on it this week was the the uh, actually that was last week uh, a video on the stand-up blind, which is their A-frame style for final approach and it's an awesome product it it breaks down super quick goes together um great it's just a great design all together and then you can wrap it all up and have it in one little bundle um and it weighs just 32 pounds so you can sling it over your shoulder so um check that out guys it's uh or we'll check out everything they have for the duck hunter um over there at at final approach all righty Let's go ahead and jump in today's podcast. Uh, if you guys haven't checked, I'll give you a little plug here, Nate. But if you guys haven't checked out Falling Tide TV, um, that is Nate's YouTube channel. And he puts out a lot of different stuff, you know, not just waterfowl. Um, but he does put out some some awesome waterfowl hunts uh, over there on his YouTube channel as well. So you definitely should check him out. Um, but Appreciate it. you want to you kind of give us a little uh, introduction uh, to who you are? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, my name's Nate Burden. I'm from a small town in southeast Louisiana called Desalman. You've probably never heard of that town. It's about uh, 45 minutes southwest of New Orleans. Uh, it's a little town on the bayou. I grew up there. Uh, I've pretty much been in this area uh, pretty much my whole life. I mean, I haven't really left. I love it here. I love southeast Louisiana. I love the marshes. I love the fresh and salt marshes. And that's where I spend most of my time during duck season. So love it down here and I wouldn't trade it for the world. Awesome. So how'd you get into to duck hunting? Uh, it's, it's really a, a family tradition for me. Um, I, I was kind of born into 
a hunting family. My my dad was a big waterfowl guy. My grandpa was a big deer hunter. And and really, you know, going back generations and generations, my my family, you know, is, you know I come from a family of outdoorsmen, a long lineage of outdoorsmen. And then going back to uh, the the market hunting days, and the, you know, then leading into trapping. So I mean, I was kind of born into the outdoor world. And then, like I said, my dad was a big waterfowl hunter. So I mean, he he grew up hunting in the eighties and then in the nineties and then even into the early two thousands where he kind of passed the torch to me, if you will. Uh, but I mean, as a kid, I spent a lot of time in the duck blind with him and, and learning from him. And, uh, yeah, just kind of took the torch from him and ran with it, you know? Awesome. So like, uh, in Louisiana, one thing I, I've kind of noticed, man, I feel like the people that I've talked to from Louisiana and like the, the videos or content that's like, everybody has like, multiple boats is it like uh <laughs> is that a thing down there or what yeah i mean i think um most of your hardcore outdoorsmen uh down here you know they'll have their a lot of them will have a flat boat and then they'll either have an outboard on it or like a like a long tail or something and you know for their fishing boat most of them will have like a bay boat or something kind of to go with it uh, i personally have just a flat boat with a 25 outboard on it and i have a pirog a canoe and a kayak depending on how i'm feeling that day so i get back in the shallows with, with, with small boats pretty much parking the channels with my flat boat whenever i go duck hunt nice so, yep nice so uh you know one thing that that we saw on your opener video from last year you talked about um the hurricanes and you know that's kind of something that you know we really uh uh, up here in the north in Elliott and Kansas, we have tornadoes, but they're you know it's, an, it's definitely not the same as a as a hurricane. So, um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, you know, like I said, we live down on the on the Gulf Coast down here, and, and hurricanes are a huge part of our lives. I mean, we we kind of we know living down here that you know the, the big ones coming at all times. It's just a matter of time, and it's just something that we we've learned to adapt to down here. Uh, you know, all, a lot of our houses down here are, are built up off the ground. Uh, a lot of them are on pilings down here. Just trying to, you know, we know that the surge is coming eventually, so they prepare for it ahead of time. But as far as tide effects of waterfowl hunting, I mean, it pushes so much salt water into our freshwater marshes and kills a lot of the feed. And a lot of times, uh, for these hurricane years, uh, like we had last year, it really it affects our our, our duck numbers uh, down here and. Uh, to a to a uh, high degree, really. I, I mean, it, it really is one of the major factors in our migration uh, if we don't have the feed to hold the birds here. And that's kind of what we faced last year, especially with the divers, because a lot of the divers that we hunt, like our canvas backs and uh, bluebills and stuff like that, we we hunt this certain area that's down in southeast Louisiana, and, and it's part of the, the what do they call the Barrier Basin. And that area was hit directly by Hurricane Ida, and it pushed a huge storm surge in there and basically completely reshaped the landscape down there. A lot of the marsh in that freshwater marsh is floating vegetation. Uh, down here in Louisiana, we call that floton. It's a, uh, just a, a French name for, I guess, floating uh, floating land. It's just land that floats over the water. And so that land got picked up and, and literally moved miles away and put back down. So we had to completely relearn our management areas over here, our WMAs. Uh, you know, th those hurricanes can be a huge factor in our waterfowl hunt. And they have been over the years, you know, and, you know, we've seen where 
you know, we've had some smaller hurricanes that do good for us. You know, that push a, pushes a lot of the water hyacinths that we have out of there and clears out, uh, you know, more open water for us to hunt sometimes. And, you know, sometimes, like like this past year, it, it negatively affected us. It pushed a lot of the canvasbacks out of there. We, we usually have a lot of wintering canvasbacks in the lake, and, and last year they just didn't hang around. So, so is yeah. that, when you talk about the floating vegeta- vegetation, is that the same as, like, up here in the north, we call that a bog, you know, uh, and I don't know if that's the same thing or if it's something different or, or maybe you don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, um, the floating vegetation I'm talking about is if you were walking on it, you, you mean, you'd be able to walk on it for one. A lot of times, you know, you just have this like mat of grass where you can't walk on it. But, but the specific land I'm talking about is if you were walking on it, you'd feel it kind of moving under your feet, Yeah, but you could walk on it it's got a root system there that's holding that land together and, okay. and just growing up, we've called that floton. Sure. Just a, a, C- a Cajun French name for it. Gotcha. You know, that sounds similar to bogs. Sometimes you can walk on them. Sometimes you can't. That's kind of in our area at least. So, um, mm-hmm. a little different to that, but yeah, no, it's definitely, uh, definitely crazy about the hurricanes and all that. And, um, and you know, definitely, uh, would be hard to have to adjust, every season when you're learning, you know, if you're learning spots, you kind of, um, around here, at least I, I feel like I'm learning them for, you know, a lifetime, if not, you know, um, maybe shorter than that, if you got different, you know, different, uh, things that are changing, but definitely nothing as drastic as, um, having a hurricane come through. Right. So, uh, tell us a little bit about like the history of hunting in Louisiana. I know it's like, uh, it, it just seems like it's such an area that is, um, just uh steeped in in uh you know a historic hunting down there and it's just it's something that's definitely a lot of people would know louisiana is, is a hunting place yeah i mean it was it was essential you know down here at one point waterfowl hunting was 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 huge for south louisiana you know as far as the you know building the economy down here around the french quarter uh i mean waterfowl hunting was was one of the major uh, revenue sources for South Louisiana, and, and and so that goes all the way back to the to the to the the, the founding of, of Louisiana, you know, and, and establishing Louisiana down here. And just the market hunters were a huge part of that. So I mean, that's like the the beginning of the history down here for waterfowl hunting. But that's you know over the years, I mean, that's taken its its, its own shape into this. Uh, I guess this just tradition of just passing down guns or passing down uh, ideas towards waterfowl hunting over the years. And, and it's just this really rich history that begins with the market hunting days, which ended in the early 1900s. But that legacy has certainly carried over into uh, what we are today down here. You know, a lot of the same styles of, of, of hunting is, is still there. You know, us paddling P-Rogs out into the marsh is still part of what we do today and that's very much you know how it began that's getting back to the roots of waterfowl hunt down here you know there's this guy that i interviewed for for a documentary that i'm working on and he's what i would consider to be the greatest uh waterfowl traditionalist on the planet and his name's dale borderline i don't know if y'all ever heard of him uh he is a guy who hunts uh just like they did in the early 1900s in the market hunting era you know, he uses an old dugout P-Rog. You know, he uses a, a gun that's from like, from that era, from the, from the market hunting era. Uh, 
uh, probably one of the earliest pump shotguns they ever made. He uses that, and he uses like a lantern to get around at night. It's awesome. <laughs> That's cool. And he uses his own decoys that he makes. <clears throat> I mean, just I mean, just that tradition is just so alive and well down here for for some of us, not all of us, and we can get into that. I'm sure that's what Elliot uh, you know, Boney <laughs> wants to pick with me is. But for some of us, you know, we re- we really do, you know, honor the tradition that that is Louisiana duck hunting. I've got a I've got a question for you, Nate. Um, I I've hunted. Go ahead. Buddy. I've hunted Kansas, Nebraska, Missouri, Oklahoma. So. Arkansas and Arkansas, right? I would have took a trip to Arkansas, and um, <clears throat> so I know how those systems kind of work. Now you're you're pretty much right on the ocean, right? Is that where- I'm on the Gulf of Mexico, yeah, yeah. right. And um, so, can you give like an overview of what that kind of hunting, like, how is it laid out? You're talking about freshwater and saltwater. Give me a broad overview from above, like. Where would the freshwater be? Where would the saltwater be? How do the ducks interact? Give me just kind of a, and some of our listeners, just a general picture of what that hunting life would look like as far as what the pools are like, all the vegetation, just a 101 on it real quick. Yeah, that's a really good question, Elliot. So, you know, Louisiana is extremely diverse. I mean, you start at the top of the state and you, you've got green timber, you have, uh, you know, as you, as you go west, you know, you have more fields, you know, you have your bean fields and stuff like that, probably similar to what Arkansas is, you know. And then as you go down, you start, uh, you go to the western side of Louisiana, you start having a lot of, uh, uh, rice fields and stuff like that. So you get that, you know, you get the pit blind hunters out that way. And then around the Lake Pontchartrain area in the southeast side, you have a lot of freshwater marsh down in that that area there especially up that barris area basin that i was telling you about um you get a lot of fresh water up there and then that's that's that in the salt marsh is what i'm more familiar and are the are, uh, let marsh. me stop for a second are, are those freshwater are those natural or are those man-made <laughs> there's okay so, so there's a lot of natural fresh marsh that we hunt there are some projects that are being done on the a lot of the federal land that's over there where they do these impoundments mm-hmm. where they where they they build these levees around and, and, and build up the land in the interior of the impoundment which uh which obviously helps the uh, waterfowl hunting and also helps with uh coastal restoration but most of what i hunt is just natural fresh marsh where, where you know you have your widgeon grass you have your uh, coontail uh, and, and and all kind of other aquatic vegetations as well is there a lot of trees um, around those or are they yeah. open a lot of it's open, but they do have some cypress islands okay. that are kind of scattered about. Um, and, 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 but mostly whenever we're hunting out there, a lot of that is, is pretty deep waters, you know, five, six foot is what we consider to be deep over there. Um, and so most of that's hunting out of the boat. You know, you, you're making a boat blind or something like that, and squeeze the boat in there and hunt. But most of that, like these days, most of that is just divers, uh, believe it or not. Um, but that's what, you know, that's what we kind of have down here mostly. But once you get out to the salt marsh, uh, you start getting a, a good mix of, 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 of big ducks. You know, you start getting your gadwall, widgeon, pintails, that sort of thing. Once you're getting way out by the Gulf of Mexico, what's interesting, something that I've, that I've noticed. And, uh, I think you guys are noticing that too up the flyways. You're getting a lot of birds that are, that are feeding at night. Right. And, they're resting where they're not getting shot at during the day. 
Right. And for us, where they're not getting shot at, is in the Gulf of Mexico. So you get a lot of birds that go piled up in the Gulf of Mexico and then fly inland to our fresh marshes and feed at night, mm-hmm. which is it's, it's different than what they used to do back in the day. Uh, but, you know, your salt marsh is, is really hardly any vegetation. They're mainly eating snails or they're getting sand for their gizzard, you know, that sort of thing. A lot of it's just they're just loafing birds out there, uh, mostly gadwall. And I, and I love hunting that salt marsh, man. I like getting so the salt marsh is just short grass. It's not very, it's not very tall. It's very short. You put, you're better off just sitting in a layout blind mm-hmm. on the bank next to a small pond and, and, and hunt like that. I, I really like that salt marsh hunt for gadwall. So I watched a video of yours where you were talking. It was, I think, your opening day last year. You were talked a lot about the hurricane. Um, do you remember which video I'm yeah. talking about? Yeah. So mm-hmm. those, when you were hunting on those marshes, were those tidal mar- saltwater marshes? Uh, those, okay. So, so yeah, yeah. So, okay. That's interesting. You say that these are the first place that we hunted where we didn't do too good. The wind was blowing really hard. That was like a pure salt marsh. Okay. Uh, that was way out on the Eastern side of Louisiana, uh, out in that salt marsh on the Eastern side of Lake Pontchartrain, uh, almost, uh, what they call Chandelier Island out that way. That's on the North side of like Venice. And then Venice is where the Mississippi River ends down there. So the second video was down there towards the end of the Mississippi River. So you got a lot of fresh water being pushed in there mm-hmm. and sand. So that second day that we were hunting, we were hunting like the edge of the salt marsh where it starts to meet that freshwater uh, river water. And that's a completely different ecosystem in itself as well. There's so many nutrients that push down that Mississippi River. And, and, and all that sand and stuff gets, uh, it's kind of like a big, uh, diversion, if you will, where it just pushes that land out and, and, and extends that land. I mean, before they built levees over here, that Mississippi River w- would replenish all of our marshes every single spring. And since they built that levee, that's part of our, that's actually our, our biggest reason that we have so much coastal land loss down here. Cause we don't have anything replenishing those marshes, but when you get down towards that river delta, you see that in its natural state and how it's supposed to be. And it's just prime waterfowl habitat. So is there any, like, is there any, probably, there's probably, uh, probably nothing that you can do about it, but is there any way to kind of get rid of that levee? <laughs> the Mississippi river levee. I mean, unless you want to get rid of New Orleans. <laughs> well, we do. That's all right. You know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Katrina tried to do that, but, you know, sure. Up fixing the levee and saving New Orleans. And, yeah, uh, I like I like New Orleans. So I don't want I don't want New Orleans to be gone. <laughs> how close <laughs> are the same time, How close you know, are you to New Orleans, personally? Uh, about forty minutes. Oh wow, wow! So you're like just that. suburbs. You're right okay, there. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. How far down so, do the Mallards? I mean, so as far how far down do the Mallards get in Louisiana? <laughs> That's funny. The Mallards used to about uh, I don't know maybe ten. 12 years ago, uh, they used to come all the way down. You know, we used to get a good number of mallards, especially towards that Atchafalaya Basin. You know, we'd get a lot of mallards, but, but we don't even get them there anymore. Um, yeah, it's, it's just, they're just scattered. I mean, we shot a few mallards this year, but I'm pretty sure they were pets. They didn't have any rings around their neck. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure they were somebody's pet. <laughs> so, you know, that's one thing kind of had on my list to talk about is, uh, you know, one thing we're kind of doing a deep dive on this. 
um, last year looking at some of the numbers um, as far as like number of ducks shot in Louisiana because um, there is, I guess there's uh, some people that uh, feel like Louisiana is like talking like they're complaining about duck numbers, but they're shooting a lot of ducks, right? As far as as far as their numbers, but the big thing is they're not getting the mallards, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that's that's the main thing that I think people complain about. Sure, yeah, yeah, and uh, but like as far as Louisiana, you guys shoot a lot of ducks, but you're not getting the mallards like you used to. Is there some? Do they have um, like as far as biologists? Do they have some type of determining factor that they're contributing this to, or or, or what's the what's the lowdown on that? I think the uh, what I would call the mainstream consensus is loss of habitat, uh, you know, loss of just wetlands in general, and then also the weather. You know, it doesn't get as as, as cold as it used to. You know, that's the mainstream uh, argument. That, that's what most biologists would say, and I think uh, I think we should trust our biologists. You know, I, I do. Sure. Um, so, do of m- course, you have you have a lot of people down here. And I'm I'm too dumb to know for sure, but there's a lot of people down here that think it has something to do with agricultural practices north north of the flyway, you know, north of us. Sure, sure. Uh, and 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 I think there probably is some of that that needs to be considered. But I think I do think weather has a lot to do with it because we had a hard you know had a hard freeze a year before last. I remember when Texas froze, we had a really hard freeze here too, and we had a lot of ducks here. A lot of ducks whenever it got really cold up north of us, and, and it pushed a lot of ducks down. Now, now the season was over, so you didn't have the pressure down here anymore. Uh, so maybe that had something to do with it too. But you know, I, I don't, I don't like to make assumptions based on things that I haven't necessarily studied in detail or have the the data in front of me to make that kind of call. But I do think there has to be something up the flyway that has to be affecting the migration aside from the weather and habitat. Um, and is it sanctuaries maybe? Or are there a lot of ducks sitting on sanctuaries just not, not having to move uh, because they're not getting shot at there? I, I don't know. Um, but just, I'd like to know y'all thoughts on it. You know, what do y'all think? I mean, yeah, why I, don't we get the mallards we used to down here, you know? I definitely think it's interesting for sure, you know, and, um, you know, it, it definitely is weather dependent uh, to some degree and, uh, you said a lot. You said a lot of interesting things there. So it's it's really hard to know from an outsider's perspective. But one thing, it just seems like, um, you know, you're talking like eight, ten, twelve years. Like it doesn't. I mean, has that much changed in the eight to ten to twelve years that uh it, that the mallards aren't getting down there? Or like, I, I I don't know. So, um, like I said, maybe this, we, this is what I will say. Sure. Back in the eighties and nineties, when my dad was hunting hard. It was, it was nothing for them to kill their lemon and mallard every single day in the fresh marsh. The same fresh marsh that you'd be lucky to go kill your six ringnecks right now. Okay. That, that, yeah, that's no, what that's... I will say. Sure. And it looks the same as it did whenever he hunted. Okay. Yeah. When would be the last year or range of years that there was good mallard hunting? How long ago are we talking? The last time I could remember people uh, in the Chaffalaya Basin, like stacking greenheads, will probably be like 2013. Yeah, I I feel like just, we're in a really 
warm weather cycle. I know I've got, I've got I know people living up in Wisconsin. It's like year after year after year. What we look for here in the middle of the central flyway is we want all that water up there to freeze. We want them ice fishing in Wisconsin and the Dakotas is what we want. And there has yeah. been, I, I, I'd have to go back and look, but I bet you 80% of the years since around that time, you're saying 2013, they're not doing the ice fishing. Isn't coming like normal. They're just not freezing up. It's like year after year after year after year. So I, I'm curious. You mentioned a really freeze, a hard freeze after season. I don't remember what year it was. Once that happened after season, were you seeing mallards at that time? You said there was a lot of ducks. Were there mallards or just other ducks? Uh, that's tough because, you know, we weren't really out there scouting like talking about. I had a guy who went to this certain uh, federal refuge that's over here close to my house. And uh, he was just deer hunting. You know, he was just over there deer hunting with his bow because the deer season continues through February. And that's whenever that happened. And he was sending me videos of, uh, you know, a lot of gadwall, widgeon, uh, teal, and uh, spoonies in an area. And there were two mallards that he had a, a video of that were sitting over there too. But, I mean, I've seen mallards in that area too before. And, and mostly they, they seem to be pets because this area is kind of an – in the urban area very close by um you can i mean where you're hunting that you can almost throw a rock and you know you're you're hitting houses like that's almost how close it is but it is a federal refuge over there and they do have some pet mallards that hang around just like there were some canada geese that were over there too and those are neighborhood geese so i can't really count those um that's why i say it's tough you know it's tough for me to say yeah we had mallards down just because you got a picture of a couple of mallards uh, but he did have the, the gadwall. He did have the, the widgeon there, which is always the sign of good migration for us. Well, I know we're on a string of warmer of warmer winters, and it seems like it's that we had a drought about 2012, I believe, a major drought uh, in the Central Flyway, and ever since then, it's been generally speaking mild. I, I can't speak for for um, agriculture practices because I don't know about that, but I know that we've been dealing with. A, a cycle of warm, warm winters. I'm, I'm, I'm personally hoping that that's just the issue, that it's just as simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hope so too. I a hundred percent agree. I hope it's just a weather issue. And once we get back on more of a cold cycle, we start seeing more of that migration. Uh, that would, that would, that would be awesome if we saw something like that. You know, I don't, I don't want it to be, you know, some landowners up north hoarding birds. I don't, I don't want that to be the, the issue because you're never going to fix that. But what yeah. I do know is, I've got a lot of pictures in my, my Rolodex of my, my dad back in the eighties and nineties, uh, wearing short sleeve shirts, holding up traps of mallards, mm. you know, and I don't know if how, I don't know how cold it was north of him. You know, I don't know how, how cold Arkansas was on that day because Arkansas could be, you know, 20 degrees and Louisiana could be 65. You, you don't know. I, I, I don't have the, the data to really make that call. But there's a lot of old men that, that, that say a lot of stuff down here, and, and it sounds good. But then you go look at the data that the biologists have collected, and they're saying one thing, and the old Cajuns are saying something else. So who do you trust? You know, who, who do you listen to? I uh, kind of lean more towards the biologists because they went to school for this sort of thing. Well, you old know? men, no matter what state they're in, want to claim that the the younger generations – don't have it like they did. I mean, that's just universal. 
And not that not that none yeah, of it's yeah, true, yeah. but it is kind of a universal thing. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It is interesting though. It is, it has been interesting to see it in real time, you know, change so drastically over the years. Um, so how, how's know. the how's like the how's the general duck hunting community in Louisiana feel about uh, about kind of the state of waterfowl hunting there? Uh, I think there's a lot of frustration from a lot of people. I mean, uh, there's a lot of people. There's also a lot of people that uh, I'm just gonna say it. They can't hunt. Uh, there's a lot of people that just really are bad duck hunters. And uh, you hear a lot of complaints from those type of people, but you also hear a lot of complaints from people who, you know, they know what they're doing. They've been doing it for a long time, and, and they've just seen the duck numbers go down. And, you know, I, I choose to – and I've always had this gift where I was able to kind of look at the good in things. And I, me, and, me and my guys, we tend to just try to compartmentalize all that. and just All right, we can't control – you know how many ducks come down here but what we can do is if we see ducks sitting over here we can go hunt them and that's all we can do we can control what we can control uh we try not to focus on all that and and we just try to just lower our expectations a little bit as far as the species we're killing and just focus on what we can control you know but a lot of guys are really frustrated with the state of waterfowl hunting in Louisiana, and and, and and I can understand. I can understand, especially some of these guys that are in their fifties that have seen it go from, you know, I mean, the, the Louisiana that that we all knew, you know, back in the seventies and eighties. I mean, Louisiana was the waterfowl mecca, and these guys saw that and then saw it decline so rapidly over the years, and. It's got to hurt, you know, especially some of these old men that used to, they got the stories, oh, man, I paddled out there and it was black in the sky. (laughs) (laughs) I hear these these stories from these old men and, uh, you know, that it just, it really must suck to go out there and and just not see that anymore, you know, a few birds here and there. Yeah. Mostly what we're hunting is small numbers, you know. Yeah, definitely, definitely, you know, to pile on to that with kind of, um, it doesn't seem like there's a, a way to fix it or like a real good pin on the exact issue to fix anyway. So, um, you know, all that combined, you know, um, well, I think, I think, uh, there is some things that we can do. I, I think that uh, the pressure that these birds have on them is a, is a, uh, is a big factor. I, I think that, you know, around the time that I'm talking about, that 2011, 12, 13 was around the time where everybody started getting surface drops. And they're real. I, I think they've been abusing the privilege of owning a surface drop. I mean, they, they talk about how in the nineties we had more duck hunting. That might be true, but in the nineties, you could just paddle a P-Rog in and, and kill ducks right close by your house. You didn't have to go travel around and scout everywhere. You didn't have to ride around the whole state looking for ducks. You could go right there and hunt them in a P-Rog, shoot your six birds and go home, right? Well, now these guys are, they make their hunt. They don't kill anything. So they just spend the rest of the day riding around looking for ducks. No wonder you got giant rafts of a hundred thousand birds sitting in the Gulf of Mexico, 20 miles out. They, the ducks have nowhere to go if everyone's riding around in their habitat looking for ducks all the time or bumping them intentionally That's part of the reason why we yeah they're bumping mm-hmm. them up i mean they, they see them sitting out there in the water they bump them up oh look at all the ducks over there and then the next and then they go build a blind there 
And then they go hunt the next day and they wonder why none of the ducks are going by the blind. Yeah. Well, it's like, cause man, you got stale birds sitting over here. You just showed them where you're putting the blind at. They're not that dumb, <laughs> you know? And, and that's why we try to hunt the way that we hunt. You know, I got an outboard, I got a P-Rog and, and I get close to where I want to hunt. I get out at my P-Rog and I go in there, you know, as quiet as I can, see them with the binoculars and say, Hey, tomorrow morning, that's where we're going to be. Uh, that's how I try to go after hunting my puddle ducks. You know, divers a little bit different. You know, I kind of handle divers differently, but the the puddle ducks, that, that's how we handle it. We try to scope them with binoculars, pinpoint where they're at, and we're there the next morning. Uh, so pretty, I, pretty simple formula, you know. So I've seen this boat in your videos, but you know, it's uh, uh not a normal name that I, I think that uh, a lot of duck hunters are used to. You know, you, you got the kayak, you got the canoe got your John boat, but uh, I don't even know if I can say the exact word you're saying, but what are you calling P-Rog? it? P-Rog? P-Rog? You know what a P-Rog How do you spell it? Uh, P-I-R-O-G-U-E. Okay, yeah. Nope, never heard of it. How about you, Elliot? Yeah, I've heard of it. Okay. Yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of people call them a P-Rog or something like that, but it's pronounced P-Rog. Okay. And, Is that French and, as well? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 really just a flat bottom canoe. Okay, they've always That's seemed very unstable to me. I, I, I don't I don't want to be in one of those with any alligators around. I gotta say, every time I've watched people ride around, those, it's <laughs> like the sides of the boat are like half an inch from the water. <laughs> those things look so unstable. But you guys know how to do <laughs> it, it with them. But they uh, look unstable. Yeah. Well, I mean, I got a I got a spud pole hero, so I mean, I can. You know, put a, I could spud down in open water and stand up and shoot. So I don't oh, really wow. have that issue. But you know, paddling them. I mean, if it, if it's choppy or anything like that, where I'm at, I'm not I'm not going out there anyway. So I don't really worry about it. Um, and then I've I've grown up in them. So as far as you know, handling myself in a pirog, it's just it's just second nature. You know. Oh yeah, uh, Elliot. Elliot actually brought up this before the podcast. You want to talk about your. Uh... Your uh, parishes, yeah. Well, let, well, let me let me get yeah. yeah. Let, give, let me give a little background to it. So um, yeah, go ahead, Elliot. I, I don't know. Have you seen the show Louisiana Law by chance? Do I know the what? show? The television show Louisiana Law. Uh, well, it's it's it no, it, it shows Sorry. the Department of Wildlife and Parks people going around and dealing with waterfowl or and hunting in general, enforcing the laws. Well, I've been watching the show and I don't know anything about Louisiana. And they jump around from parish to parish. And it's like, now we're showing this parish and that parish. And the whole parish thing to me is completely foreign. So it's like, is a parish the same thing in other states like a county? Or is it different? Yes, yeah, the exact same thing. Yeah. So why do they call them parishes? We just call them parishes. Is there a reason? Because Louisiana, because Louisiana got to be different. Just like we call blue, we call blue bills doe green. <laughs> you know, just like we, just like we call coot pool do. <laughs> Are the, is know, that French? Just, is both that French or what? It's all, all of that French. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, dogri means grayback in French, uh, Cajun French, and pool do, that's, uh, that's also a Cajun French word. You know, we have, we have, we have our names for everything, man. We can't call nothing by its government name. But that's cool. <laughs> okay, so that answers that question. Um, can I ask you about, um, I, I want to get into your accents a little bit, okay? Because, um, it's, it's not quite so you get the what what is the kind of accent that's super thick French because yours isn't exactly that the, no. there's a name for it like the really thick French influenced Cajun accent what is there's a name for it 
there's a name for the for the accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a. I don't know. I don't okay. Know. <laughs> what? So it, we just call it Cajun accent. Nah, there's there's a specific name for it, but um, <laughs> um, oh, do the accents vary down there in Louisiana? Like, is your accent different than? Can you tell if you go like 200? Um, miles a different direction is the accent a little bit different so so um before you answer the question no i don't know about 200 miles i mean the next the next parish it'll be a different accent. so it's a very fluid all the accents are very fluid and change from parish to parish even oh man you go one side of the bayou it's different than another okay yeah because i know i've heard an accent like it's so thick with I thought was, I thought the word was like Creole or something like that. I, I may be butchering it wrong or something, but it's so. Th- well, Creole Creole is uh is 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 a uh, is an African American that's got Cajun French. I guess that's I would speak Cajun French, but it's it's an African American uh, bloodline. I guess. Oh, okay. So I was totally off. off uh, the Creole people were black. Okay. It, it just seems like such a fascinating uh, area of America. And give us a little bit of like, do you, do you know anything about the cultures and like the influences of the French in the area? And you may, and you may not. I'm just, in, it just seems like a different world from like the Midwest. And I'm just interested in anything that you can give me as far as heritage accents, anything like that. So I know like the Southeastern part of Louisiana is heavily influenced by uh, that Creole uh, culture that we we're just talking about. Uh, that's where you get a lot of like the, the New Orleans. Yeah, babe. How you doing, babe? Yes. Like that right, right, right. An accent. And then you have, and then you have like the Southwest Louisiana or that, that Chafalaya Basin I was mentioning. Uh, that's more of the, they came from Canada. They have that, uh, uh, yeah, I'm going to go out in my P-roll. You know, like they had, they right. throw out their right. words more and, and uh, and that's those people came from. It's funny if you listen to somebody who's Canadian, and then you listen to somebody from Southwest Louisiana or like South Central Louisiana, you'll notice they have some similar dialect from Canada all the way down to South Louisiana, like that. And it's funny that's the Acadians that settled down here, and that's where you get that word Cajun from, Acadian, Cajun. Uh, so that's pretty interesting. Um, but I kind of fall somewhere like right in the middle. And I think over the years, just from, you know, getting out of getting out of Louisiana so much, I, I've lost a little bit of it. Just trying to work on my enunciation and trying to work on speaking more universal, I guess you'd say, especially when I'm connecting to people on uh, social media platforms and, and YouTube and stuff like that. But a lot of times when I get around my friends, I just can't help it. I go right back to what I was, you know, I grew up speaking like. And it's not really something that I try to do. It's just something that comes natural. I was you know, in sales my whole my whole life and kind of learn how to you know my whole not my whole life i wasn't selling stuff for five years old you know, <laughs> but like my working career i was in sales so you kind of you learn how to i guess speak on the phone a little bit different than what you would do when you're just hanging out with your buddy drinking beers you know well, everyone does that it's like if you go to a job interview right. you're going to talk differently than you're with your friends and you just every everyone does that you know it's like you just get a different small group right. culture and, and everything so i i really enjoyed um your accent and your videos and just some of the words that you're using while you're hunting is just so foreign to like, I've been born and bred in Kansas and that's where I've lived my whole life. So it just seems so yeah. unique and interesting to me. Now, when Jordan and I talk, do we sound like that? We've got the, the do you hear an accent from either of us? I mean, it, or is it, 
like I said, I'm so, I'm so used to talking to people from all over, man. Like right before I, I talked to y'all, I was talking to somebody in Washington right. State. You know, I'm talking to people all over, man. It, accents don't they don't really stand out to me as much. But I guess if I was up there by you guys and I was listening to somebody that was from where I'm at, that that's got to be a pretty uh, drastic change, you know. Yeah. But no, I mean, I guess you, you got a typical, uh, you know. Uh, it would just say up the flyway. Yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> accent, you know what I mean? Yeah, because so yeah. you sound like I got I got some uh, some buddies that live in Kansas. I guess you sound something close to my day sound. Because for know. me, I, I definitely identify like uh, East Coast Italian accent is pretty distinct, um, and then Southern accents are distinct. But I noticed that they I didn't realize this before. I noticed they vary because I've got friends in Arkansas now, and they definitely have an accent, but it's it's totally different than yours. And I'm just trying to kind of learn and pinpoint like the differences so i could identify yeah. what this is in minnesota like. right minnesota minnesota like yeah. like don't you know yeah. like that you know they have a pretty yep and then definitely the cajun those would be like your uh your accents i even think people from california have a an accent as well so titus definitely uses yeah. some vocabulary yeah. that um is distinct yeah yeah for sure well back to the waterfowl before Elliot derails this podcast, it just, I just get curious. I just I'm, get no, curious. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I, <laughs> I am definitely too. I'm that, it's a uh, super interesting. Um, but yeah, let's let's jump to back to a waterfall question. Um, you know, I've seen your videos. You guys have early teal, um, and then you just you got diver hunting uh, and different. It just seems like you have different different things at different times of the season. So, kind of give us a breakdown of your if you're gonna like break it down maybe in like quarters of the season like what is a typical louisiana um southern louisiana duck season like okay so we get a teal season that starts around usually around the uh, second weekend of september and goes to the last weekend in september i I hate to stop you already but i have a two i don't i don't want to forget it but uh uh is your shooting light for teal hunting is it 30 minutes before or is it at sunrise? Oh, it's, it's 30 minutes before. Oh, what the heck? It's, it's 30, it was 30, it's, okay, so 30 minutes before sunrise. Yeah. See, yeah. Uh, I thought it was a Mississippi Flyway thing that it uh, that it's at sunrise because everywhere I've looked at in the Mississippi Flyway, it is sunrise. But I guess Louisiana is different. So. It's, it's 30 minutes before sunrise is for us, so. A lot of times you'll see in our videos, it'll be pretty dark, especially if you have a good overcast. Sure. It's hard to even get camera light yeah. whenever yeah. that shooting time starts. And, and that, that, that's tough, you know, um, sometimes, you know, yep. but yeah, so we get, we get that season. And then October, you know, we kind of take that month off. Most people go to bow hunting and stuff like that. And then, uh, around the second weekend in November, it kicks back off. And then at some point around the beginning of December, we get a split where it's like no hunting for a week and it kicks back off again for a couple of weeks. And then usually there'll be well, starting last year, they did two splits. So we'll have a second week off and then you go back to it. And then we hunt all the way to the end of January. So it's a full 60 day season. It's spread out a little bit. Um, but yeah, in the early season, you know, we'll get, so that first weekend of the season, we'll usually have a good number of gab wall down already. We'll have our, our teal, um, and with most of our most of our puddle ducks teal, you know, your, your spoonbill stuff like that. And then by that second split, 
around that time, we usually get a good push of divers that come down. So that's whenever you'll start seeing your canvas back. And what, and what like time that. frame is that second split? That's usually around like December 10th ish, you know, somewhere yep. in there. We'll start getting a good number of, of divers. You know, we'll start getting a lot of bluebills, start getting a lot of canvas backs, you know, our ringnecks will really start showing up and, yeah, so, so and then at the end of the season, we usually get a really good push to gabwall again, like a, like a late push. And I don't know if it's really a push or if it's – because we start hunting that salt marsh late in the season. Maybe the salt marsh is just better late in the season. I really don't know. But we tend to kill more gabwall late. So, so yeah, just till, till the end of January, we'll be burning the barrels off, you know, <laughs> trying to at least. <laughs> oh, yeah. Do you get outside of Louisiana so, you know, at all? Uh, do you get outside of Louisiana at all to hunt? Uh, last year, we made a sackbelly hunt in Mississippi. Uh, we did that. Um, but as far as anywhere else, not really. Not last year. Uh, I, I hunted Kansas a couple of times, you know, but never really anywhere else. What was your impression of Kansas when you hunted it? Uh, I could – it's a grind, and I could tell. And I think people – uh, I think people down here have a have a skewed understanding of what it's like to dry field hunt because where I, where we were hunting was dry field, and I could, that that's a grind, especially when you when you're driving by and you're seeing a thousand geese sitting over here, you're seeing five hundred geese sitting over here, you're seeing you know a pile of a hundred mallards here, and then you're seeing fifty over here, and it's like what do you go after, you know? And it's really just driving around till you find that like mother load. Like, all right, there's going to be birds coming back here tomorrow, but then you got to go get permission, you know, and it's all, uh, that's a grind. That's a grind that's different than what we have because I think you have more to stress about there. Whereas like here we have what we have and there's really no point in stressing about it. Just go hunting over there. It's like, especially if you drive field hunting. I mean, first you got to find the birds and when you find them, then you got to pray to God that the person is going to let you hunt them that owns the property. And then you got to hope you're not the second guy to come at because you might have just missed it, you know, and I would imagine that would be, that would be stressful, but we did have a little river hunt one time over there. That was freaking sweet. And I would love to do that again. Hunting on a small river, a little narrow, a uh, little narrow river that had like this little sand flat kind of mm-hmm. where it kind of widened a little bit. That was really fun. We were like shooting down on the ducks. That was the weirdest thing I ever did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, dude, I, I, I will say this: the green was nice. We, we shot a lot of green. That was pretty cool. Uh, you know, it's, like I said, it's been years since I've seen a, a pile of green like that, and so that was pretty cool. But you know, I love home. Right. I love home. I like tasting these greasy gabwall in the salt marsh. Like. <laughs> so here's a here's a running question we keep asking everybody uh, here lately: gadwall, do they taste worse than other puddle ducks? No, not if you know how to cook. <laughs> it's a good one. No. I like yeah, it. That's a good answer. <laughs> yep. I don't. I don't find it tastes much different. I mean, every duck has its own unique little, little flavor to it. Uh, and then sometimes I'll have two gadwall that taste a little bit different. And it's the same duck, but they taste a little bit different. I guess it depends on the diet. I would guess for the most part, you know, sure. kind of what they taste like or how much they're exerting themselves. Or I mean, so we got these. Uh, we got two buddies, and, and you're gonna you're gonna think they're stuck up snobs uh, with this comment, but neither one of them will shoot gadwall at all. They'll just pass on them. That's okay. Send them down here. 
That's what I say, too, to be honest. But, uh, you know, uh, one of the guys is in Nebraska, and, and, I mean, you can imagine uh, how Nebraskans are. They're pretty elitist in their waterfowl <laughs> hunting. I always feel like they're casual. <laughs> I mean, yeah. they're back. <laughs> they, they only want to shoot green. <laughs> hey, I mean, if you're, if you're killing ducks like some of these guys do up there, you got to make a challenge in some kind of so, way. So, Nate, if yeah. you think you can kill all green, are you going to pass on a gadwall at that point, or are you killing a gadwall every time no matter what? Buddy, there's a video that I think I sent it to you, Jordan. I, I think it was uh, the one where you had, we had the ducks that were laid out on that bench seat. Yeah. Uh, that video, there's two pintails on our right, and we shot the spoonies and gadwall right in front of them. <laughs> I don't, I don't pass on nothing, man. If it comes, because this is this is my goal, all right. And this is why I will water swat too, and I'm not ashamed of it. I know Jordan will water swat too. I've seen. Oh yeah. But uh, and look, I have no shame, and this is why. Because my goal is to get in and out of this spot as quick as I can to let these birds refuge. These birds are starving for a place to refuge down here, right? So my goal is to get in and out as fast as I can to give them their space. So. If a duck comes in and lands on the water, I'm not wasting any time. I'm shooting it, and I'm moving on to the next one. You know, that's uh, that's my goal. Um, like I said, I come from a family of market hunters generations back. If my ancestors ever knew that I told a duck to jump up before I shot it, they'd probably come get me from the grave. <laughs> you hear me? Because that's, that's how they made a living, and that's how they, they had to eat, you know? It's disrespectful to them for me to let a duck get up and fly away. Yeah, I would say it's even unsporting to to jump birds up and not water swat them. Sure, sure. I mean, especially if you can give them a quick head shot and kill them right there, it's it's a cleaner shot than them jumping up and flying away giving you the tail. There's nothing more embarrassing than when you say, hey, Birdet and Miss. (laughs) Uh, I I couldn't agree with you more. And and look, I've done it. Kill them on the water and you kill them dead. Dead, clean kill. Kill them dead and get out of there whenever you can, and and, and let those birds have their marsh, man. And I, I look at it like this is their this is their home. I'm an intruder, and uh, as soon as I can get out of here, the better. You know, let them let them rest. This place is for them. So uh, as far so as far as talking about you know your your hunting style and that, and having gone other places, and we talked about this a little bit on our last podcast, um, and it kind of goes to uh, there's kind of a, a theory that I've put together over the last couple of years, and we've talked about it from time to time, that making the ultimate duck hunter is a combination of two te- of two things. You know, the first thing is opportunity, you having the right amount of opportunity, not having too much opportunity. Like, uh, you know, so it's like to make the ultimate duck hunter, you got to be able to learn from the duck hunting experiences. You can't have too few, and then you're not, you're not, you know, you're not having any action, so you're not learning um, you can't have too many because it's so easy that it doesn't matter what you're going to do. Eventually, you're going to have enough birds come at your decoys and you're going to kill them. Like, you know. Yeah. So, so yeah. We, where would you say that Louisiana falls on that scale? So, well, one thing I've noticed over the years is these, these old school duck hunters that have been hunting over here for 30-some years, they're not having – near the success as the younger generation is, I find. And that and, and I don't mean like the seven, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen year olds. I mean like the, you know, mid twenties to thirties. The that's the window of that that I think is the having the most success in the field. It's an age thing. And it's kinda weird. 
And I think it's what you just talked about. I think a lot of these younger guys, they don't even know where to start. They're not getting the opportunity, so they're not really learning anything. And you got these older guys that were used to it a certain way, and they have not adapted. And they're still trying to hunt their old ways, and they're not having any success. They're getting frustrated. They're putting their guns in the safe, you know? And then you have, like, people like myself who, look, I didn't have the money to travel where you had these huge numbers of birds at down here back in the day. I, I just didn't have the the, the gear to travel down the Mississippi river to go all the way to the end of the Delta down there and hunt. I just didn't have the means to do that. Uh, and then, then I had to go to work and stuff, you know? So, you know, I had, I had things that I had to do. And I just didn't have the time, the money or the gear to do that. So I had to focus on hunting small numbers closer to the house, small waters. Um, and the way you really had to grind it out for the duck. And I think that taught me how to be a better duck hunter. And I think now in this world that we live in down here where we don't have the huge duck numbers, that bodes really well for me. It makes it where I'm like, I don't know what y'all are complaining about. I've been doing this for years. <laughs> you know, this is what I've grown. I mean, this is what I've grown into. Once I once I kind of took that torch and ran with it, like I said, from my dad, yeah, I had to go kind of relearn waterfowl hunting. And that, those experiences you were talking about where you have enough of those good slash bad days where you really had data to go off of where you're like, all right, what did we do well that worked today? What did we not do well this other day that we didn't do good? You know, and you're able to just cross things off your list. Hey, let's not do this anymore. Let's do more of this. You got to have that little bit of level of success to be able to learn, but you also have to be able to live with that failure, you know, a, a number of times where you can, like, number one, it makes you want it more when you when you have that taste of success, but you also keep getting this failure. It makes you want it more and want it more, want it more because you know what that success tastes like. Oh, yeah. You know, but you've got to have that failure, too, because failure tastes equally as impactful. It's just in a negative way. You've got to figure that out, you know. But yes. None of us are perfect. Yep. None of us are perfect. You know, we're not. There's no way to be, a, in my opinion, to be a perfect waterfowl on it. But, you know. It's all about those experiences and what you take from them, you know. But like I said, some of these younger guys are just – like I get the DMs all the time. I'm sure you do too. I'm sure both, both of y'all do. The guys are just asking for all kind of advice and stuff. And my, the advice I always give them is just go. Just go. Just go out there, travel around, find some ducks, hunt them. And I always say this. And for everybody listening, this is, this is, in my opinion, the most important thing for waterfowl. Find where the ducks want to be. Figure out how to hide there. And that's like 90% of duck hunting. <laughs> yep. yep. Couldn't agree more. Elliot, you want to hit up your uh, Elliot's version of the lightning round? Well, I don't know that I've, <laughs> I don't know that I've accumulated too many questions, but I was just going to throw some things at you and uh, give me just... I'll add some okay. too, Elliot. So, right, let, me, let me do a few. Just give me your kind of first thing that comes to mind, your first impression, all right? Um, Arkansas duck hunters. Uh, Arkansas duck hunters. I think timber. I think uh, I think like twenty five horsepower in the trees racing to the duck hole. That's what I think. <laughs> who who are overall who are that, that, that's kind of who like, would you think overall would be better at better duck hunters, uh, Louisiana or Arkansas? Uh, honestly. Shoot, that's a that's a tough one because I think that Louisiana has some freaking dogs over here, and we really do. But we also got so much 
trash. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to, it's hard to say. I think like, all right, I think, I think the best duck hunter is in Louisiana. But I think y'all have more better duck hunters than what we in have. Arkansas. Probably. Well, in, in well, Elliot's yeah, actually Kansas. in Kansas. So we, well, yeah, I know, but, but you know. Yeah, we, we can do that one next. Louisiana or Kansas? Louisiana or Kansas? Probably Kansas. I just feel like uh, Kansas, they have so many birds over there that they probably get a, a really good understanding of duck behavior on so, on a level that I don't think Louisiana is experiencing right now. You know? So I think, I, I just feel like our, I feel like Kansas is probably, probably better. I mean, I just, I, and this is what I, and this is what I know too. You take somebody out of Kansas that hunts fields and, and rivers and, and cattle ponds and stuff and take them over here to hunting in the salt marsh and they won't kill no ducks. Right. A lot of it is <laughs> so just learning. Kinda, but also. Too. And you take guys out of the timber and you take them to a prairie marsh and they're not going to know how to hide. So it's like, I mean, right. everyone would adapt with enough time, but you just plunk them out and put them in someplace. You know, you, you kind of learn what you're, what you have to do in your area to be successful and maybe that will translate and maybe that won't. Um, how much easier do you think it is to kill ducks in the upper central flyway than Louisiana? Like as far as how dumb the birds are, what's your perception of that? Uh, I think it's easier. It's gotta be, it's gotta be easier. Um, I, I believe that, you know, we got so much water. There's so much water here, man. The birds do not have to land with you. They do not have to land where you want them to land. They can go wherever they yeah. want. So, yeah, it's got to be tough, tougher here, you know. And then we're also at the very end of the flyway. They've seen a lot on the way down. You know, definitely. The gad wall are hard to decoy. I don't know how they decoy by you guys. They're hard to decoy. You know, I've heard that from a lot of people in, in different areas. Gadwall can be a little, little, little finicky. I've I've seen them both ways. And, and sometimes I, I, I good. Yeah. You've seen them both ways, where they're, they're you know going land out in the middle of the open water. Yeah, if they if, you, if they get in a spot that they're comfortable, they will go to the middle way more than mallards will. I've had lots of days where mallards are way more decoyable than the gadwall, but then I've had days where the gadwall are really dumb and stupid. But when they, I think when they get accustomed to a place, they seek the middle of open water like no other duck. I mean, they just like have nothing to do with you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, uh, mallards for us down here, I find decoy pretty good. I haven't really had it. The, the the hunts that I've targeted greenheads down here, it's been pretty pretty easy. You know, honestly, I haven't really had any trouble decoying mallards too much. I feel like you get them within your your bubble, they usually come check you out. What's your favorite duck to kill? Favorite duck, gabble. Gadwall. I love gadwall and salt marsh, man. That's the that's the first we've ever got gadwall. I yeah. promise you that. <laughs> that's fine. Uh, that's no, fine. no, there's I, not. I understand. It's not a bad thing. I, no. I, yeah, I, I just love. I love laying down. Um, my picture perfect hunt. All right, down on the coast, all the way down by the Gulf of Mexico. Small little pond, not a, not a big pond, a tidal pond. Uh, about three or four inches of water, and I want to be sitting. Laying down in the layout blind in the marsh grass, and I want them gadwall to be getting vertical. I want a bluebird day where they get real vertical. They, they come in really high. You have about six to eight decoys out. That's about it. And they get vertical, man. I mean, like, 
they come in from high and they get low mm. quick. And that's my favorite type of hunt right there. And they, they decoy good in the salt marsh. Late in the season like that, they mm. they just they're just trying to find them a little pocket with a couple of ducks to get away from everything and and that's where I want to be. That, that to me is a picture perfect duck hunt. Awesome. So, yep. And what what gun that's do you fun. shoot? Brett Allen. Nice. Have you had any issues with the with that gun? And, uh, no, not yet. I shot it for the first time last year. I shot an old Wingmaster 870 every year before that. I shot a Breda for seven. I'm just moving from a Breda uh, Outlander to a Weatherby 18i, and I, I had quite a few misclicks. And and uh, if I didn't spray it down in between every single hunt, I would have misclicks 100%. Oh. Anyway, I was just curious. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, this one uh, hadn't given me any problems last year. Never had a single misfire. Never had a single misfire. Um, and I took it out the box. I fired a couple rounds through it in the yard. And then after that, I mean, I took it to the field and never had any problems. I've cleaned it one time since then. So, yeah. But my my eight seventy Wingmaster was hard to hard to put down. You know, that's the oh, gun yeah. that was passed down to me, and and I shot a lot of ducks with it. it 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 gave me very little problems. I'll say I never I never never had any major issues. Nothing I couldn't solve in the field. So awesome. It was a good gun. Yeah. Good deal. Well, I think this is probably a, a pretty good place to go ahead and wrap it up. Um, man, we really appreciate coming on and sharing sharing with us. Um, uh, you know all your knowledge on Louisiana, sharing uh, all the hunts and experiences you have. It's really a uh, like I said, first first time we've had anyone from Louisiana, and I definitely feel like I have a complete new perspective on on uh, everything uh, waterfowl hunting in Louisiana. So, yeah, man, I appreciate you guys for having me on. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, so once again, do you want to go ahead and share some plugs for uh, people who want to uh, find some of your content? Yeah, guys, uh, you can go to YouTube and search Falling Tide TV. Uh, you find all of my YouTube videos there. I have a uh, TikTok. You can search Falling Tide TV on TikTok and also have Instagram, uh, also Falling Tide TV. Uh, so just search Falling Tide TV and you'll find Nate. Awesome. Any closing words, Elliot? No, I just appreciate you coming on here. And uh, I think that you did a wonderful job of representing everything about what you do and the culture of the area. So. Very, very well-spoken, interesting guest for sure. Yeah, I really appreciate it, guys. And uh, any anytime y'all want to do this again, just let me know. Definitely, man. Definitely, uh, definitely, should take you up on that and and have you on here again. Alrighty, fellas. I am Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles, Elliot from Freelance Duck Hunting, and Nate from Falling Tide TV. Falling Tide TV, and we'll see you guys on the next one.